Oh, wise Madame Anyangwe, what does the future hold? I see a new Twitter account, a virtual reality hire me campaign, and an interactive infographic CV. Wow, but will the job market improve? Well, that depends on global economic recovery and how good you are on LinkedIn. Hello, welcome to Careers Talk. I'm Kerry Eustace. Hopefully you'll have guessed from that dodgy sketch that we're looking to the future of job seeking in this week's show. Now we don't have a crystal ball but we do have our star guardian career experts to hand. So from stepping up your social media activity to the trend for upside down CVs, we're going to be exploring all the job seeking insights grads need in 2012. And of course, before 2012 puts in an appearance, we've got Christmas to look forward to. Hooray. And we're in a festive mood for our last careers talk of this year. So we've asked some of our regular experts to wrap up a few carefully chosen Christmas presents for you, dear listener. But first, we've got a roundup of the news. Ali White and Eliza Anyangwe are here to share their stories. Thanks for coming in. Last show of the year. Um, Eliza, you take it away with your story. Well, um, uh, seeing as we're looking at trends, I have a few... A few bits of good news for the green graduate. So it seems one man's crisis is another man's opportunity. And in 2012, there will be lots of movement in the energy and environment sectors. So any graduates who are doing um, jobs that directly relate, such as uh, waste management or engineering or um, wind power, all those sort of things, um, there are lots of opportunities for you. Um, To start off making it a bit official, the UN has declared that next year, 2012, is the International Year of Sustainable Energy for All. So it means that there's going to be a lot of movement in the sector and there's a demand for um, professionals who both have experience, but then because jobs are being created, they will need entry-level positions as well. More specifically, we have um, opportunities in oil and gas. Um, There will be... um, People who have a, or want to work in CSR, and but who also have um, have studied um, renewable energy sources or the oil and gas industry, there will be demand for you. There will also be a demand in waste management, as I mentioned before. And lastly, um, the European wind market is growing phenomenally. So um, there are predictions that about two hundred and fifty thousand new jobs may be created next year. That is good news. Um, I think we'll probably be exploring growth sectors in our Q&As early next year. So sign up for the newsletter and keep an eye out for the links. Okay, so I've got something that's looking at trends, but um, I've got a survey that's revealing how the workplace has changed over the last 10 years and look at what the next decade might have in store. So I've picked out a a survey from the Institute of Leadership and Management and they surveyed um, 1,300 managers to find out about their kind of working life, how they're using technology and that sort of thing. Um, So top lines, nearly half of us are working longer hours, two thirds of higher workloads, and, um, and over half are stressed at work. <laughs> it's not great news. Um, and actually, mobile phones and Blackberries are topping the list of inventions managers wish had never been created. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do without mine, so I don't know where that comes from. But um, So nearly half of the respondents have seen an increase in remote working in the past decade, but 35% have seen no change. So despite all that technology, you know, being able to work remotely, using your smartphone, using your iPad and all that sort of business, um, lots of people are still chained to their desks. Um, oh, here's a good one about technology. So we're all getting about 40 more emails a day compared to 10 Whoa. years ago. 
So in terms of looking forward to the next 10 years, the ILM has been looking, been working with a futurologist, Dr. Ian Pearson, who I think we should definitely get on the show yeah. next year. Um, and he believes that 3D technology will revolutionise virtual meetings, while cordless energy, augmented reality and the miniaturisation of IT <laughs> are all within the realms of possibility in the next 10 years. So here's some of the things that we could be seeing. So artificial intelligence. Towards the end of the decade, we can have computer-based intelligence, which will provide much of the effort in many jobs. Um, And employees are going to concentrate more on the human aspects of their work, which is harder to automate. We can have visors and 3D immersion. This is all sounding very (laughs) Tron to me right now. (laughs) So semi-transparent visors are coming soon, and some of these will will enable a fully immersive 3D experience. I don't know why you need a 3D experience at work, but maybe, you know, typing in 3D, I don't know. 3D podcasts, maybe. Producer Kate looks a bit scared, but that's okay. Um, Augmented reality. Um, So the convergence of the virtual and physical world. So there'll be graphics everywhere we go. We'll give marketers, games manufacturers, retailers, fashion designers, architects, and social network designers a whole new platform to play with when they're in the development stage. And then miniaturization, which is probably one of my favorites. So IT is going to reduce in size potentially to digital jewelry and smart dust amazing (laughs) smart dust and apparently this is good for sustainability requiring far less physical resource for the same functionality and quality of life value so that sort of relates to what Eliza was saying about people working in sustainability invent us some smart dust please I really want some (laughs) (laughs) that's me Ali okie doke I've got something which I think, you know, we all would have experienced at some point in our working career, and that is the most disliked phrases at work, a.k.a. jargon. (laughs) (laughs) The baddie. Yeah. It's a survey by um, Business Language Consultancy, the writer. They conducted a poll of over 500 members of the public and asked about writing at work, sort of what got their goat kind of thing. And 74% voted touch base as the most offensive phrase to read at work. One I've never heard of, but obviously a lot of you have, because 72% didn't like, I'll socialise that. I'm not quite right now. Someone could tell me what that means. That would be great. 70% chose think outside the box. And then they just sort of asked, and unprompted responses included blue sky thinking, reach out, ducks in a row, take offline, and cascade, also unpopular. Um, and it sort of had us remember that a good blog we had on our site from Paul Redmond from the University of Liverpool, who um, sort of talked about the similar thing, but in CVs. And he said that, um, you know, he, he sort of thinks it's to do with television shows like The Apprentice, that a lot of graduates are using this kind of meaningless management jargon, thinking, you know, it's an acceptable tone of voice to use on application form. And things that he put out, again, proven track record. He said Usain Bolt has a proven track record. It's called 9.58 seconds. <laughs> he said the equally awful David Brent, like thinking outside the box, you know, it's been greatly exaggerated. And he said you'd be amazed at what people say they're passionate about. Like one applicant wrote how she was passionate and fabulously excited about working with people, as if on the job spec working with another species was ever an option. <laughs> So, you know, there you go. There's your suspects, but what to do about them. So he had some good um, tips for writing original applications and just a few of them, you know. He says if it's possible to cut a word 
spread out, always cut it out, you know, less is more when it comes to job applications. Use active rather than passive sentences. Um, never use a foreign phrase, a scientific word or a jargon word if you can think of an everyday English equivalent. Um, and yeah, he just says never use a metaphor, simile or another figure of speech which you're used to seeing in print. So in particular, this goes for thinking outside the box and proven track record. Thanks for that. Now, Ali, could you just burrow under the careers talk tree and pass me that big box wrapped in reindeer paper with a big bow on the top? Oh, this one. (laughs) Yep, yep. Thanks. Let's have a look at the label. Dear careers talk listener, Merry Christmas and a wonderful new job search strategy from your job goddess, Claire Whitmill. Let's open it up. Hi, I'm Claire Whitmill. I'm the Guardian careers expert on CVs and interviews. Experts in the Guardian Q&As have said all year it's grads who prove their enthusiasm for the job that get hired. So start a side project or a blog, create an event, get involved in the industry. Anything to show you're so sure about your career choice that you also live and breathe it in your spare time. Thanks very much, Claire. And there'll be more presents later. OK, people, forget Mystic Meg. I've seen the graduate of the future. They are tech-savvy, virtual job seekers that connect with the companies they want to work for long before they finish university. They seek out alternatives to exploitative unpaid internships, start up their own businesses and run their own initiatives to build the skills and experiences graduate employers demand. Well, actually, I haven't seen The Graduate of the Future. And it's fair to say lots of you are doing lots of that already, but have spent the week speaking to our experts and career advisors asking them what the job trends for next year might be and how you can stand out in a graduate jobs market that's about to become even more crowded. We're joined now by a couple of people who know a thing or two about being ahead of the job-seeking trends. Hello to Mildred Talabi, who's a CV expert and author of Seven Keys to a Winning CV, and Ulrika Schultz, who's a recent graduate turned account executive at social media and marketing agency We Are Social and former job hunter on Twitter. I've got to say, Ulrika, it's so amazing to have you because you're like one of our legendary grads. You've been looking for a job all year and now you've finally got one. We're so happy for you. Tell us about that. Tell us a little bit about your job. I just started like three weeks ago. So I'm very new to the job. I'm still learning and observing. And basically my main duty is to um, manage the Facebook uh, fan page for Germany. So I actually can use my um, German skills uh, in my new job. That sounds interesting. We'll ask you a bit more about how you actually got your job, yeah. your Twitter job hunt in a bit. But let's just open it up and talk about your both of your predictions for 2012. Mildred, do you want to give us yours? What's your big kind of tip for next year? Oh, my big tip for next year. I, I, next year is looking very interesting because as we as we've seen this year, you know, we've seen the figures of one million young people unemployed and we've seen all the unemployment figures. So the job market has changed, which means that the way that we look for jobs has to change with it. And there's three things that I predict. We can go into more details later, but the style of CVs that go out, the way we write the CVs, that definitely has to change because the focus has changed. So I also think that Social media, as you mentioned with Ulrika here, social media is going to play a big part in job hunting for 2012. And the third thing is a little bit slightly off scale, but is entrepreneurship in terms of young people doing a bit more 
with themselves to make them more employable, even deciding to be their own bosses in future. So I think those are three things that's going to come up next year. Yeah, they're interesting. We'll definitely explore those in more detail. Ulrika, what about you? Have you got a prediction? Um, well, um, I would say I'm not an expert and also it depends on the different countries. Uh, when I started applying, I really had to study kind of the way of writing CVs in the UK. Um, but I would say because of my experience, I would say that social media plays a big role as well. Um, that people or graduates use it more to communicate, to get information, to get maybe details or the other way around to present themselves a little bit more, to show who they are. I, I only have one prediction and this is like in the social media direction. Um, not only because of me, but I saw uh, different other like kind of Twitter or social media platform hunts and I think they worked out very well for, for everyone. Don't ask me for an example right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think the example's gotta gotta be what you actually did. Your Twitter jobs on your Twitter job hunt and your Twitter account. Tell you know, sort of give it us in a nutshell and tell, take us through the journey. Um, yeah, I started when I was still at university because I thought, okay, the main thoughts behind it was I'm in Germany, I want to move to London but I don't know anybody there. So how can I get actually uh, get in contact with some people from the industry there? And uh, it was like, not only that I wasn't before on Twitter, that was actually my first Twitter account. And at the same time, um, yeah, I started this job hunt. Many people just um, wondering, what can I do on Twitter? What is my purpose? What, what can I tweet and something like that? So my purpose was l like uh, the job hunt. And I just, like, at the beginning, I didn't know what to do. I was like, what? Uh, I post, like, hey, I work there. I'm like this. It was quite boring at the, <laughs> at the beginning. But then I got really into it, and I started, um, because I started just to read about it, like advertising, social media, and then I started posting things about that, at dis discussions about it. And so people... Yeah, they, they found me, I found them, and we just started talking on Twitter. And sometimes I just ask, hey, maybe we can meet up in London, I can fly to London, and we just speak a little bit about the industry. So it wasn't like directly, can you offer me a job? It was more indirect. T let's talk about the industry, let's talk about myself, what do I do right, what do I do wrong? Yeah, and then I also thought um, I can put or I can go a step further in my job hunt. So I started this little project called Hashtag Hire Ulrike. And uh, I just shot a video about um, about myself, what I want to do. It was very short, so not a lot of information, but enough that people might ask, oh, what, what do you want? Like, tell me more or something. Um, and that was helpful as well. I mean, I didn't get like thousands of um, interviews from that. But there were people asking me, oh, that sounds interesting, tell me more. I mean, I still was at university, I have to admit. So it wasn't so urgent for me. So I just wanted to kind to get to know people from the industry. I think what you did, like you experimenting with the platform, with things like the Hire All Week hashtag, and sort of you were just immersing yourself in the sector you wanted to work with, you know, kind of looking what 
people were saying about it and getting involved in the conversations is just is it the perfect thing so you can quite quickly become affiliated with a particular topic on twitter i think i mean mm-hmm. mildred what would you add you know your prediction about social media what yeah. sort of uh things do you see at graduates doing the same as Ulrika? i think what Ulrika done is absolutely brilliant it's very ingenious very creative i think that whole thinking behind it is what as an employer you're looking at the thoughts that goes into creating something like that, doing a campaign, hire Rika, and then following it on from there. So I think things like this, graduates making use of Twitter, because the beauty of Twitter is that you can access people right there, whereas before you had this army of PR people who would keep you away from the big boss, you know, or the PAs, or, you know, to divert your emails. Now you can find most of them on Twitter. And you can start following them. I'm sure they'll probably ignore you for the first 200 tweets or something. Yeah. And then, but <laughs> gradually, like Ulrika said, instead of just give me a job, give me a job, as you begin to add value, people will start to pay attention because it's all about adding value. As a graduate, you have to add value. You have to think, what do I have that I can give out that's more than just, oh, I've got a degree? You soon find that you start getting attention from employers and maybe they'll be chasing you for jobs mm. you know, after a while. So yeah. I think it's brilliant. Um, I just wanted to ask, because Ulrika obviously started very early, still at university, do you mm. think this is something that graduates should be thinking about during their studies? Or is it going to leave it a bit late if you've sort of graduated and then you think, oh, I need a social media strategy? And then, like yeah. you've seen, it's taking months and months to develop. I think, I think that's a very good question. I think that as a graduate, there's loads of things you can't put off anymore until you graduate. You can't just go to university in your three years of university and then expect to come out and get a job anymore in this day and age. So literally, while you're there, you have to do all these things. So get familiar with social media. Start the campaign before you graduate, just like Ulrika did. Start it from there and start talking about, oh, I'm graduating, maybe a year from the time you graduate. Start, you know, because it takes a while on Twitter and things like that to start getting known so that people don't think you're just a spammer. It does take a while. <laughs> so I'll say definitely start while you're at uni and then develop it from there. And you'll see that by the time you're ready to come out, you would have already built a platform that you can work with from then on. I think as well, the thing to take from what Ulrika did is that she also took it kind of off the internet as well. So you were trying to meet up with people. You were using it just as a starting point to make connections, weren't you? That's very important as well. So I think um, it's not enough just to communicate on the social media platforms. Um, At one point, you really have to meet the people because... It's more than 140 characters as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's absolutely brilliant. I think the great thing about what Ulrich is saying is, is what you mentioned is a multi-pronged approach. So you're attacking it this way, that way, that way, that way, and all these different ways, and eventually it creates a result that you want. Right, let's talk about CVs now. So Mildred, one of your predictions is that we're going to have to change the way we write our CVs. This is fascinating. <laughs> Tell us how we're going to do that. Yes, I think the old way of doing CVs was your experience and your education really got the most attention. What's going to change is the other elements of your CV, which previously didn't get as much attention, will be more important now. And this is the things like your interest and your activities, it's the skills that you're bringing to the table, it's your voluntary work. If you look at it, if you and somebody else graduated in the same year and you both got a first class or a 2-1 or, 
you know, you've both got, you know, similar amount of experience. What's going to differentiate the two of you? So when you start to bring in your interests and your activities into your CVs, that could really set you apart. And 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 the whole concept of it, I read this book called um, The Rare Find by George Anders, and he talks about how companies like Google have already started implementing things like this. So when they look at somebody's CV, they're not looking at how competent you are in terms of your experience or your education. They're looking at what else does your CV tell me? What does your interest tell me about you as a person? What does it reveal about your characteristics? I think that's the trend. Interest and activities are going to play a very key role. So again, it's something you can be doing while you're at university is develop some interests. If you don't have it, do, you know, other than just going out drinking at the <laughs> nightclubs or something, but develop things that you do outside of your regular studies so you can be in a better chance. I like that, our prediction next year. Be more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the upside down CV's names comes from, like, they just read it from the bottom up, don't they? So they yeah. look, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty fun. much. That, that's the, they look at it and say that this is the most important section of the CV. Okay, great, great, great education, great, wonderful. But, ooh, you scuba dive on weekends afterwards. Okay. I actually think that, I keep going on about yeah. Aurika's London job hunt, but I think that kind of says quite a lot about her as a person. You know, she's yes. taking the initiative to go out there. She's demonstrating that she's got social media media skills and and because you're on Twitter it's more kind of personable anyway isn't it do you think Ulrika that you're going to see more people doing stuff like this next year I I think so actually because I already saw some people creating a very interesting and very creative websites and then promoting it on and on Twitter so I think if, if um, graduates just put a little bit of effort in observing the changes as well, like for example, we just had the Twitter um, design change now, maybe you can do something with that. So I think if you just like observe all the social media platforms and what's going on, um, yeah, you can do a lot with it. And I think people will try it. Good luck. I think that, that ties in quite nicely to your other prediction, Mildred, about entrepreneurialism. Tell us about why you think that's going to be big next year. When I, when I was actually studying in my second year of university, I created a magazine for young people because back then I thought I was going to be the next Rupert Murdoch. That was my ambition. <laughs> and then I grew up. <laughs> but literally, so I was in my second year. I was just doing my studies in creative writing and film studies. And I thought, there's not that many magazines out there for young people. What should I do? So I said, let's create one. And I kind of got loads of students together, all of them working for free. And we created a publication, which I paid for with two grand of my student loan money, which I'm still paying back this day. (laughs) (laughs) But I did that at that time. I wasn't trying to be entrepreneurial or anything like that. I just saw a need and I thought, let me meet this need. Lots of employers were impressed by that. The fact that I actually went, did something put something like that together, made it happen. So that got me through a lot of doors, just that experience that I created for myself. And I think that's the same thing in terms of for next year. I think students, even if you even if you don't want to be the next Richard Branson, we can't all be, you know, entrepreneurs because someone has to work for entrepreneurs. But it's it's being using your initiative and thinking, okay, what can I do while I'm waiting for someone to employ me? Or how can I use the skills that I have to create opportunities for myself that may not be there otherwise? So maybe if you're a graphic if you're quite good at graphic designing, you can start designing flyers for people or maybe charging them for it or something like that. Just small steps. Not only does it build you up as a person and you get to start to think, actually I do have skills and I do have things to offer. 
but it also means that if you do decide to go down the employment route after you graduate, that you've got things to show on your CV that makes you, that, that shows off traits, you know, that, that make you this rare find that they're looking for traits. That means that you're a really good person and you're hardworking and all the rest of it. But entrepreneurship, I think, is the way forward because if you can't find a job for yourself, then consider creating it. That's that's what I mean by entrepreneurship. And it may be just for a short term that the graduates will start creating jobs for themselves. But for the meantime, don't just wait for somebody to employ you. Start to think of how you can use your own skills and talents. And that's what I think will be a trend in future. Um, thanks very much both. That was fantastic advice. Good luck everyone with all the social media. Good luck in your new job, Ulrika. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks to Mildred and Ulrika. Now, before we move on, would you like another Christmas present? Of course you would. Ali, could you do your father Christmas act again? Yep, sure. <laughs> just just let me reach under the branches of the tree, push a bit of low-hanging bit tinsel out the way. Here we go. This says, Dear Careers Talk listener, have a wonderful Christmas and a lovely new CV from social media expert Simon Kane. Social recruiting is going to become a much bigger thing for uh, HR departments and recruiters. I had a, I had a chat about a week ago with uh, another social media manager who, uh, who believed that LinkedIn is the best platform for uh, graduates and, and uh, people just moving into the job sector to get their name under the nose of people that can get them jobs. Uh, and I argued that it, actually Twitter's probably a better bet for the for people uh, in general, not just graduates. Ultimately, companies aren't just looking for an employee. They don't want someone to just come in, work nine to five and go home. They, they're looking for someone with a personality. There's, there's 49 people going for every graduate job and it takes more than, you know, just having a qualification now to, to stand out. And I think... Although LinkedIn's a great thing to have, ultimately they're going to know more about your personality um, from either Facebook or Twitter, um, mainly Twitter because it's miles more open um, and it's much better for networking because of its openness. There was a really interesting case of when they asked a load of recruiters whether they looked at um, people's social media profiles when they uh, screened candidates. And they said that um, Facebook was the top one they looked at, and then Twitter, and then a massive drop-off to LinkedIn. And mainly the reason is going to be because LinkedIn pretty much only has the details of what you're going to send them in a CV anyway. Um, whereas if you if they see you chatting with someone on Twitter who's already at their company, they can see that you are interested in the work that's going on, and that you are potentially someone that you know they can ask for a reference personally from that person. So I think social recruiting is, is going to be a lot bigger in 2012. Now, we've another treat in store for you. We promised you some analysis of the grad market stats at the top of the show. And we've got Charlie Ball, who's Deputy Research Director at the Higher Education Career Services Unit, or HECSU for short, on the phone to talk about future growth trends. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Kerry. How are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Good. So we actually talked about, you blogged for us last week um, about the graduate job market, the labour market survey, and we um, we ran a piece on the career site and we talked about it in the podcast of the top level uh, research about this year's stats. But what's your prediction for the graduate job market in 2012? Well, um, I described the job market for 2011 as a not great, but not hopeless. Um, 
I think for 2012, I'll probably be describing it as um, not great, but not hopeless. <laughs> um, because to be honest, there's not likely to be a great deal of change in the employment market. It's not, going, not likely at this point to get a, a lot worse, mm. nor does it really look like it's going to get a, a lot better. In in the comments on the blog, you, because you wrote it just before the autumn statement <laughs> came out from the Chancellor, it's like perfect yes, timing for us. Yes, I did. I thought us. that was excellent timing yeah. <laughs> on my part there. But you did come back and say that the future growth figures suggest very strongly that things are not likely to improve significantly, as you've just said, for yeah. a couple of years yet, either yeah. in terms of the number of jobs or in terms of their distribution around the country. Can yeah. you tell us a bit more about the future growth figures and anything else that might be worth um, knowing about? Well, of course, the Office of Budgetary Responsibility came back after the, uh, um, as part of the Chancellor's statement um, a couple of weeks ago and uh, revised down the growth figures for the UK economy. And, of course, that, that plays a crucial part on the graduate employment market, or well, the employment market in general. And, of course, they've, they've told us that, essentially, the UK isn't going to be growing an awful lot in the next couple of years. That's been backed up by organisations like the OECD, who are based in Paris. The Bank of England themselves have said, well, let's be honest, we're going to see quite flat growth. Their intelligence from around the country is suggesting um, that the economy is kind of uh, bumping along. We may or may not be um, going to see a, a downturn over the next few months. The most recent indicators suggest actually things are going a little bit better than planned, but that's hardly as if the economy is roaring ahead. And in terms of the employment market, um, at the moment, uh, employers are reporting a very faint positive intention to hire. So we're talking probably not enormous layoffs in the private sector, probably a very, very slight increase in the number of jobs as we've seen over the next few, over the, over the last few months where the private sector has actually continued putting on jobs at a very, very slow rate. But of course, the big question for graduates um, for employment is the public sector. Why is that? Tell us a bit more about that. Well, about 40% of graduates start their careers in public sector employment. Now, of course, a lot of those are doctors and nurses and teachers and so on. And whilst they're, they're seeing cutbacks, they're not quite so strong because they're essential frontline services and, and are trying to be protected. But an awful lot of graduates also normally would start their careers in things like, in, in, in more junior roles, in things like local authorities, um, hospitals, universities themselves. I mean, um, one thing to bear in mind is that in most towns outside London, the local university or university system is one of the two largest employers of graduates as well as the place that produces them. And as long as these institutions are not hiring or are cutting back, it has a significant effect on the graduate employment market because it cuts off one of the primary options for, for jobs, particularly outside London. And that also affects the distribution of jobs. Um, I mentioned that we'd probably not see much increase in, in job distribution. One of the effects of the recession has been to increase the proportion of graduates starting their careers in London from about one in six to about one in five. So we've seen a big concentration, or we've seen an increasing concentration of jobs in the capital, which obviously has implications for people who are um, from areas quite distant or have limited resources because, let's face it, London is a pretty expensive place to live these days. You also said, I mean, in your comments, that we'll have a clearer picture early next year. I mean, why is that? And what sort of information or statistics are we waiting for to inform that? Well, we're waiting, what we're waiting for is uh, particularly the national growth figures for the fourth quarter of 2011, will be quite important and um, the budget in 
in March will be extremely significant. But on a, on a more graduate-focused scale, um, the Association of Graduate Recruiters will be producing their annual report um, in January, which will give a pretty clear indication of how the largest graduate recruiters are seeing the employment market. Now, the suspicion is, is that they're going to be reasonably flat about it, which is not a terrible situation. It probably means the employment market for graduates is going to be pretty much as it was, as it has been over the last couple of years. Um, but obviously, we'd like to see things moving forward a little more. I think that's a little optimistic at the moment. And I'm hanging over it all at the moment are the shenanigans in the Eurozone as well, mm. which obviously have a pretty um, significant bearing on the general health of the UK economy and the people that we export to. So that's something that graduates should be keeping an eye on, do you think? I think that's something we should all be keeping an eye on. But yes, <laughs> it is something that graduates should be keeping an eye on because um, even if you don't look to be working in a for an industry or in a job that seems to trade with Europe... The health of our economy at the moment is, is strongly bound in with the with, with our, the European economy. And if we have another recession, then things will start to look quite difficult, I think, for everyone. Okay. I mean, we talked about keeping an eye on the Eurozone. Is there anything else, any signals or any reports that perhaps Grad should be keeping an eye out for? Well, well like I say, at the moment, um, I, I, I don't really want to... I don't, wouldn't normally want graduate, to signal graduates to start pouring through... Um, <laughs> detailed economic data because even to someone like me it's often quite dull um <laughs> but uh, it's worth keeping an eye on the uh, general reports from the bank of england about the state of the economy because they can often be quite good signals to which sectors are doing quite well at the moment which ones are doing not so well so for at the mo at the moment the bank of england is reporting the financial services industry which had been going forward quite strongly after the recession that's uh, that services industry has been has been slowing down a little bit but other areas so the utilities industry for example it and engineering are starting to improve and that's great news because engineering has been in the doldrums for a couple of years um, but things like logistics and construction are still having a hard time and keep an eye out in the budget because particularly if large public sector job layoffs are announced that will have a, a disproportionate effect on graduates. All right, and just finally, quickly, what would your career tip for 2012 be? Well, now, for most people graduating next year, they've got about 45 years of career ahead of them. I appreciate that's probably enough to make some people turn off the podcast and start <laughs> crying. Um, but the point to, point to bear in mind is, if you've got 45 years of career ahead of you, there is no need and uh, no, no urgency in immediately finding one career and then sticking to it. Um, if you have an idea in your head of your dream career um, and it's, it's proving very tough to get into, instead of jumping through ridiculous hoops to try and get into it, why not go into something else for a couple of years, build up your experiences and then attack that industry from another angle later on when you've got a bit more contact, a bit more experience and, and a bit more knowledge about the job market? On a more basic level, don't panic. Um, most graduates do get jobs. Most graduates this year and next year will get jobs. And the chances are that even if you don't get what you think is your dream career straight away, you will, in the end, make a good and fulfilling career for yourself. Thanks, Charlie. Time for another Christmas present. Pass me that little knobbly one covered in sellotape, will you, Ali? Dear listener, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Job. Love, Jessica Henderson, Career Advisor at the University of Leeds. 
My prediction for the graduate jobs market in 2012 is that we'll see a continued growth in employers looking increasingly to their placement schemes for their potential future recruits. I think this really highlights the growing importance of work experience for students and graduates and um, I would really urge graduates to consider placements, internships as well as short-term contracts as potential stepping stones to longer-term employment. There are many fantastic regional initiatives happening throughout the UK um, where many university career services are working with employers to develop paid graduate placement opportunities. Examples of this are Graduates Yorkshire, Go Wales and Grad South West to name but a few. Any graduates interested in exploring these kinds of opportunities should contact their local university career service for information on any regional or local programmes that they can access. Much more useful than boring old socks. Thanks, Jessica. OK, it's Jobs Top 10 time now. We've gone with a techie futuristic roles theme and Alia and Eliza are going to reveal the chart. Kicking us off at 10, Sky is searching for a Scrum Master. While at 9, it's a back-end developer via Digital Gurus. PwC has graduate opportunities in technology at 8. At 7, it's a graduate user experience specialist from Redgate's Software Limited. 6 is a mobile application developer via Step. Coming in at number 5, we've got a web and digital media manager from Sustainability. Autodata wants an XML developer at 4. This week's numéro 3, it's an intranet officer at Leonard Cheshire Disability. Major Players has a .NET developer job at 2. And top of the chart this week, it's an infrastructure manager role at Guardian News & Media. OK, here's what we've got coming up on careers.guardian.co.uk next week. On Tuesday, 13th of December, we've got an apprenticeship careers clinic. Okay, so if you want to get Q&A links and future podcasts delivered directly to your inbox, you can now sign up to our weekly newsletter and I'll drop a link to that on the show notes. Um, that brings us to the end of the pod. Oh, oh no, wait a minute. There's one last present hiding at the back. Hello, my name is Jonathan Black. I'm Director of the Career Service at Oxford University, and my tip for 2012 is to make at least one appointment for an information interview. And this is where you go and talk to somebody you know, or a friend, or a parent, or a friend of your parents, uh, or an alumni from your university who could talk to you about the sort of subject and the sort of um, career that you'd like to do. And when you've gone and met them and you spent 10 minutes with them, ask them for two more contacts at the end and then you can build up your network. But if you just do one of those next year, it'll be a great start and make all the difference. Thanks very much, Jonathan Black. That one was a bit muffled, so maybe you didn't unwrap it properly. But thanks to all our Christmas present givers. We've got Claire Whitmell, Simon Kane, Jessica Henderson and Jonathan Black. Um, I'm sure thank you letters are in the post already. Thanks also to our studio guests, Mildred Talabi, Ulrika Schultz and Charlie Ball. Plus... Eliza Anyangwe and Ali White. Careers Talk was produced by Kate Taylor. I'm Kerry Eustace, and from all of us to all of you, have a wonderful Christmas and see you in the brave new job seeking world of 2012. Goodbye.